0: Easy, alrighty, people. Welcome back to the show. He's a first-time guest on the podcast. His name's Chris Wojcik. Beautiful, beautiful. How are you, Chris? You all right?
1: I'm good, man. Good. How are you?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not too bad. Thank you again for taking the time. For people who maybe are just hearing your voice for the first time, do you want to just give us, I guess, a Cliff's Notes of who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, first, Damien, thank you for having me on. Uh, my name is Chris Wojcik. I am a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I got my black belt from a guy named Jeff Seraphin out of uh, Chicago, Illinois, Midwest, United States. Uh, I know we have a worldwide audience here. You're out of Australia. I am a. Uh, I've been. I'm currently ranked number fifteen in the world at 170 pounds for Nogi grappling. Uh, I'm also a writer. I write a uh, a newsletter and a called the Grappler's Diary. So it's kind of focused on my life as a jiu jitsu athlete. And then I'm also a ghost writer on the side as well for like. CEOs and personal development that kind of stuff yeah.
0: so that's kind of what I do okay okay and yeah like you said for the for the audience 170 pounds is about 77 or 78 kilos 70, uh, yeah so for ATC
1: yeah. events I do 77
0: kilos yeah okay yeah yeah we do the uh we use the metric system over here bud yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> makes, so it makes your system makes more sense but you know America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that's awesome. the only thing that doesn't make sense in America. Uh,
0: yeah, I wanted like to learn more about your beginning in jujitsu because there's not always like a common thread of how people get into jujitsu. Like sometimes it's sometimes it's a podcast like Rogan, or sometimes it's uh, people see the UFC for the first time and think, "Oh my god, I need to learn this." Like, what was your origin story? I guess of getting into the sport.
1: Yeah, so I started, I'm 26. Um, I started Jiu-Jitsu when I was 17 years old, almost 18, about a few months before I turned 18. Um, and the reason I started was because uh, my mom worked at a high school, my high school, and she worked in the like special ed department, special education. And one of her jobs was helping students in special education find jobs. And one of the jobs she found was uh, helping these kids clean a martial arts gym. And so she got connected with this guy, you know, helping her students get work. Um, And I wrestled when I was a kid. I started wrestling just because I was um, not super big, not super fast. I was kind of bad at all the other sports. But wrestling was fun because I could go against people my size, my athleticism, that kind of stuff. Um, And so I got into jiu-jitsu from my mom, actually, which is not, you know, I don't think that's super common. Um, I didn't find out about Rogan or the UFC or any of that stuff until after I had already gone to the gym for the first time. I Literally knew I knew about boxing because of like Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao and stuff. But my first exposure to the UFC was uh, after I started training jiu-jitsu. Um, that was in April 2015. Um, I bounced around a little bit, like white and blue belt days. I was I went to school in Oregon, which is like the Pacific Northwest northwest of the United States. I was there for about a year and a half, um, and then I settled down in Chicago. When I was uh, 19 and I trained there all through college, um, I taught at a gym for a few years um, afterwards, after college. And I recently moved to Austin about a month ago to kind of try to take my competitive career to the next level.
0: And so do you feel like from the beginning, once you were living in um, in the Northwest, that you were always super serious about your training and, and sort of committed to it? Or was it when you moved to Chicago? Like, When did you sort of feel like that was wanted? what you wanted to focus your time on?
1: yeah so i did about a year of jujitsu where i was kind of you know I had, I had probably six months where i was just training for fun maybe two or three times a week just kind of you know exploring and you know, I was doing other things i was 18 years old you know i was like partying doing that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. then uh, when i turned 19 i decided that i wanted to fight mma because i was seeing like people in the ufc and then all of a sudden i would see a ufc fighter was like 21 i was like wait he's two years older than me i want to do that too I started doing MMA training for about a year. So I was doing boxing and Muay Thai and all the grappling. and I was doing Gi and Nogi, but I didn't really, you know, I was just training a lot. Um, But I was splitting my time between Jiu-Jitsu and MMA stuff. And then I competed in the IBJJF Nogi Worlds uh, with about a year and a half of training. And I did the blue belt division. And I didn't know the rules of the tournament. I just knew (laughs) getting submitted was bad and getting swept was bad. And that was enough. I got third on my first try. And I was like, I bet if I focused on this, I could be pretty good. Mm. And so that was kind of what made me stop doing the anime stuff and go down the jujitsu rabbit hole. And, you know, my parents are very happy about that choice as opposed to becoming a cage fighter. But I started doing jujitsu pretty seriously in like late 2016. And then I was pretty much doing jiu-jitsu intensely pretty much that entire time you know there was a period where I was you know freelance writing on the side I was in college and doing like you know internships and stuff like that on the side but I started doing jiu-jitsu pretty intensely around 2016. Okay
0: man that's crazy I I, I was obviously the plan is to talk a bit about jiu-jitsu but I would love to learn about the writing side like have you always loved to write? Have you been a reader for a long time? Like, how does that sort of get started? That you're now doing ghost writing and stuff as like a, a way of making money to almost fund what you're doing with jujitsu, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's actually how it started. Was I right. finished uh, my undergrad at uh, I went to Loyola Chicago, and I finished, and I was like, okay, I need to get a job. I need to make money. You know, at the time I wasn't making. And now I'm able to make my money pretty much fifty fifty jujitsu and writing. Um, but at the time, it was like, you know, jujitsu was making jujitsu was losing me money at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was like trying to figure out a way. And I would, you know, read books on, you know, finance, personal finance and stuff like that, trying to get educated on the, the subject. Um, and I've always liked writing. You know, it was probably my best subject in school. I wasn't like amazing at it, but it was my best subject in school. Um, and I read an article on medium.com in late 2020. And then the pandemic happened, too. So it was like even harder to find a job. Um, but it was late 2020, I read an article on, medium, on medium.com. And I started just posting like an article per week on Medium, just, you know, to see if it could be maybe a thing. And I was using that kind of to build a portfolio to start my freelancing, which I don't really do that anymore. Now I pretty much only do the ghostwriting. I started doing that. And eventually it became kind of like, a you know, it just grew just because of consistency and, you know, just constantly you know putting stuff out and it started to grow and that was kind of how I was able to build a little little job out of it and now it's something that I, you know, I love to do and I do it pretty much full-time
0: yeah sick and so with the ghostwriting side of it is it sort of uh because I'm my job is in finance in Australia doing home loans so like mortgage broking I guess I think it's what you guys would call it so and a big industry for our our business is for having somebody who writes your newsletters that you send out to an email list of clients or potential clients. Is that sort of a similar thing that you're doing or like yep, talk about that? That's pretty
1: much exactly what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, okay. That's sick, man. Congrats. Like, cause like jujitsu is for for most people that I've I've met in the time that I've trained who are pushing it as what they want their career to be, you're basically poor for a very long time because it's very hard to make a living. And having sort of like alternative ways of making money to fund it is super important. So congrats. And also it's great that you can, you've, you're have sort of, you sound like a bit of a Renaissance man, like, cause you've got a couple of things going on, right? Like you're not just doing your jujitsu, you're also a rider. And like, it's awesome that you can monetize that to sort of push to whatever you want to do next. That's awesome, dude.
1: Yeah, I've always been interested in like many different things, you know? Like I was, and I and you know, the thing about jujitsu is it's like, you know you can train hard for two three if you're really pushing it four hours a day and then you're still awake you know for 12 more hours you know that's a lot of time if you're doing jiu full-time you're only spending a few hours at the gym so i was always interested in different side projects like blogging and you know like content creation and that kind of stuff reading and stuff and i was like it just sort of made sense that I was like, if I'm going to do this and I already like doing it, I should try to find a way to monetize it. And that was sort of what led me down the uh, writer, content creator path as well.
0: Okay, okay. And so for people who are who maybe don't know a lot about jujitsu, and you spoke about how some of your income is coming from jujitsu, do you reckon you could break down to people, if you're a jujitsu jitsu athlete, what ways are you considering to sort of monetize that skill? Because at the end of the day, like, being a black belt in jujitsu it's like it to me I think of it like it's a craft like somebody who's a plumber like you're do you get what I'm saying I don't know if that's the right comparison but you're monetizing a craft that you've honed and developed and dedicated your life to becoming good at Uh, and so how do you go about monetizing that like what was your mindset to figuring that out
1: yeah so it really started Do you know who Dante Leon is Yeah, he's a a friend of mine from, uh, he's out of the Midwest, so I used to train with him a lot, and I just noticed his approach was always very financially driven, like he was always trying to make money through matches and everything, and that made me start to think like, okay, before I had just thought of jiu-jitsu as like a passion that I pursue and I try to be the best because I want to be the best, and that was the reason that I tried so hard. Um, And then over time, I started to realize that like, if I'm going to do this at the highest level... You know, now I'm like competing against guys who are like top 10 in the world. If I'm going to compete at that level, I need to be monetizing my grappling so that I can grapple more, you know, so I don't have to go in and do a day job or whatever like that. And that was originally why uh, I tried to like kind of, you know, go and monetize my jujitsu stuff. And so breakdown of kind of how it works is I have, you know, I have a jujitsu instructional, which is eh, it's a few hundred dollars a month. It's not crazy. Um, I do a Patreon, which is another few hundred dollars. Um, I'll do private lessons when I travel, um, which is frequently. I'll do seminars. So like I'll go and someone will fly me in for a weekend and I'll train and I'll teach and I'll do privates and that kind of stuff. And then I don't factor. uh, One thing that I do that I think is a little different from uh, a lot of people who are trying to make money in Jiu Jitsu is I don't factor competition winnings into my income, into my budget. That's kind of like a a nice thing that if I win, I get extra money. So like I won a $5,000 bracket last year and it's like, Oh, awesome. I got an extra five grand, but it wasn't something that I was planning for. And I think because I'm thinking about it like that, I've been able to go a lot longer than someone who would be like factoring them winning stuff or competing as their income. because injuries happen. Things happen to take you off the mat. You need to be able to stay, you know, keep making money when you're not competing at the highest level. So that was kind of how I started doing that.
0: Do you feel like there's pressure taken off of you when you go out to compete because you know you don't, the money's lovely and you obviously want to win because you're a competitive person and you want to see, you want to challenge yourself, but you don't have that added pressure that if I don't make, you know, top three and get some prize money, you know, I don't have any money, you know, that you're going to be okay for money regardless. Does that take some pressure off or do you still put the same pressure on yourself to win?
1: Um, I think that it depends on the person. So I would not necessarily prescribe that advice to someone else. But for me, I know that the pressure of like, Oh, if I don't win, I'm not going to eat. I probably would end up not eating, you know, just knowing myself. But I think, you know, some people thrive under that pressure and I, you know, I can handle pressure situations. You know, I've won a world championship in jujitsu. Uh, I've been in the you know semifinals of the toughest A C C trials ever, probably last year. But if I were like, if it was a win or be you know unable to buy food situation, I don't think I would perform my best.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: There's like a creative freedom. There's yeah. Okay. Freedom right. That is, you know, necessary to do jujitsu well. I think, in my okay. opinion.
0: Okay. And that's something I love about jujitsu. Like I'm not, I don't want to talk like I'm on your level. So please don't like I. I worry oh, yeah. about how. Do you know what I mean? I worry about how yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> how I put myself out. I'm a blue belt here, people. So like when um, there's there's so many ways of doing jujitsu. Like everybody's got their own individual outlook on how they approach the game, and I really find that interesting. It's so cool to me. And speaking of that, ADCC trials was that. Was that the one where it was Mike Crisp and um, Nicky Rod's little brother? I don't know his name. Yeah. Was that the comp you were talking about?
1: Yep, yeah, I was in yeah. seventy-seven kilos. Okay, okay, you know, okay.
0: yeah. So I have a cr- I have a, sh- a shoulder that cracks up off and on because of Mike Crisp. He was ah. one of my coaches. He was my tr- I love that guy though. He's a good dude. He yeah, um. He's great. Yeah, he used to coach at a gym called Lions MMA, which was the first gym I went to in Vancouver. So I trained in Vancouver for a very long time before COVID hit. I was living over there, and yeah, I trained. I basically got all of my stripes at White Belt over in Vancouver. It was a good. It was a good place to be. Vancouver. It's a sick spot. Yeah. So we're the same age. I think you're twenty six. So we won't say the advice you would give your 25-year-old self, which is like the the standard question I ask people. So maybe we could say 18, or you can you can sort of go with it the way you want to. If you could go back in time as you are now, knowing what you know about life now, what do you think you would tell your younger self? Like what advice would you give that person?
1: Um, I have a few major points that I think I would tell myself. Um, I think the first would be, to make sure that I prioritize my mental health because I think that it was something that I struggled with when I was like 18, 19. And I think I dug myself into a little hole by neglecting, you know, when I was struggling, I just would just ignore things and try to grip through them. And I would end up making things, you know, whether it's relationships, whether it's doing work, whether even jujitsu is harder when you're, you know, it's when you're struggling mentally. Um, I think I would tell myself to kind of, you know, take, your mental health, take your mindset seriously. And that I think took, would take a lot of pressure that I was putting on myself off. Another thing that I would tell myself is to like lean into your weird. I think that a lot of times, especially when you're younger and you're very concerned about what other people think about you, it might change the way that you you know live your life and the choices that you make. And I found that pretty much every single time that I choose to do something that I think might be a little weird or a little different, as long as you make that choice and you go down that path with, you know, confidence and grit and you don't give up when it gets hard, you're rewarded tenfold for going, you know, going your own way. So it would be kind of two main points that I would tell you to you. So
0: obviously there's two points to break down there. What do you feel like you can place the point in time where you feel like you learned those lessons?
1: Yeah. So I feel like I made a when in, in uh twenty nineteen I won the Nogi world championship at purple belt. And that was, I think that whole year, if you look at my competition results from that year, there was no, no one would expect me to win the world championship that day. You know, I was, I was good. I would win some regional tournaments. I finished in the top 16 in the world in the heat. So I had a good year, but there was no reason to think I was going to win worlds Nogi. But I think on that day mentally, I was just so clear headed. I was so focused that, I was completely. I was in the zone in a way that I hadn't been in my entire career up until then, and it was because I had been doing a lot of work on my mind throughout the entire year. So I think 2019 was when I really turned a corner mentally. Um, and then you know I thought to myself, "I wish I had just started doing this the whole time. I think I would have had much better success uh, sooner."
0: you spoke about the personal finance stuff and that's the that's the next question like investing is investing something that you try to do whether it's just obviously investing in yourself and maybe skill acquisition with jujitsu so you can teach better or if it's something you do personally with finance to sort of put some money aside like what's investing to you
1: um yeah so i do some like you know financial investing like in stocks and stuff like that Um, my dad worked in stocks growing up so i was exposed to that from okay. age. and I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I have a financial guru by any yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with, you know, like the S and P and the Dow and like that kind of stuff, but I'm not an expert. So I kind of will consult my dad and I'll go through that stuff. I think that's important to, uh, um, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, I think, I think it has a positive, uh, you know, it's a, you should get a positive ROI. That's as much as I know about it. Um, so I try to study it a little bit, um, in terms of other types of investments, I make a lot. So I make, you know, I, I'll i buy writing courses, I'll buy you know, a lot of, uh, I got all those books over there. Mm-hmm. I think it's a different form of investment. I bought, you know, jujitsu courses. Um, I think I've invested, you know, in going to jujitsu competitions, doing all these different things with jujitsu. Um, I think that in terms of like investing in yourself or investing, you know, you have to be willing to take shots in order to grow. and then if you just try to do everything all on your own without investing, you're going to hit a wall much sooner than if you try to, you know, you put down some money or you put down some risk or, you know, whatever it is. I think that, you know, taking risks and investing in yourself is a big, big thing to do.
0: Something you wrote about uh, that I saw on Twitter a couple of, uh, I think it came out this morning, actually, speaking of like, competitions and how they can be expensive for a lot of competitions, because it obviously costs a bit of money to run these com- uh, competitions. A lot of the referees aren't getting paid a ton. Uh, as from my experience in Australia, most of the people running competitions are volunteers and some of the money's going to them. Some of it's going to running stuff. Like if you had a, if you had a magic wand to sort of like change aspects of how competitions or how jujitsu on a whole, could change for the better I, that, I i'm putting you on the spot but like is that is that something you think about and what do you think you would do if you had a magic wand
1: well i think that you know if i had a space i, I could do whatever i want i think that really what we like it, when i think about like the ideal competitive grappling experience i think a little bit more about what we have for wrestling here in america so like when i i wrestled growing up and i would do these tournaments it would be at a school you know it was just a local tournament and it would be 25 bucks. They would just put mats down, and it would be, you know, like the referee would be people who like were invested, who were like, you know, worked at the school or coached the team or whatever. And it would be not like an in house, but like more of a local tournament. And it was a great way to build competitive experience. And we don't really have that in jiu jitsu. And I think something like that would be really cool. And that would, I think, change the uh, competitive seen from the ground up you know like if we start at the lowest tier right the local tournament up the street and we make that a more accessible experience i think that that will force people like you know if i if you had to choose between paying 125 dollars or whatever to go compete in some event where you know it's maybe going to be one match versus competing in a local event that's like 25 50 and it's several matches and maybe you don't get a fancy medal, right? But you still have this great experience. I think that people would, that would force the bigger events to reevaluate what they're
0: doing. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there's competitions, like Australia has competitions, but they're few and far between. So like a few of the gyms where I live uh, out here will do like, I don't know, all I can think of the right word is like a smoker. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like it's just yeah. an informal tournament where they let the other gyms know, like, hey, turn up to this gym at this time, like, pay us ten bucks, and you'll get at least one match, two matches, three matches tops. You know? And whoever turns up, we just figure out a bracket, and it's it's almost like a roll, but a little more full on. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But yeah, so so that's sort of your that would be your magic wand thing, like making it more accessible for competition, so it's not so much of a a money suck, maybe.
1: Yeah, and then I think also there would need to be some sort of cultural shift where we, when we think about jiu-jitsu, we don't really – like we put a lot of pressure on competition in jujitsu, uh, And part of this is, I think maybe social media and everyone wants to seem like they look good on the internet. And I noticed this, especially like training at like a famous gym, you know, I'm training at the B team of like some guys don't want to compete because they don't want to – if they lose, it really hurts their brand. And then you, this trickles down in the culture. And then you've got blue belts, purple belts who think that if they lose, it's going to hurt their brand. And it's like, if you don't test yourself and you don't put yourself out there, you're not going to have a brand for much longer. You know, part of this sport is activity. So either you have to be a teacher or you have to be an athlete. You know, that's kind of the two roles that you can have. And athletes lose sometimes, you know. That's just part of jujitsu. Gordon Ryan lost a few years ago. You know he's obviously doing well right now, and he's the one percent. But pretty much everybody else is losing. So mm-hmm. I think culturally there would need to be some shift where we're encouraging frequent competition, um, and that would you know, kind of take if we were doing it in a lower risk, you know, it's more accessible to people, and it's like hey, you should do this. You know, it's it can only help you. Then I think it would be um, that would start a positive trend. For competitive jiu-jitsu that would I think do a lot more than you know what we're doing right
0: now yeah and speaking like we talked about Craig Jones before I I feel like his his branding has been amazing (laughs) like to have to have the idea to think that of like I'm going to make sure that you know I'm almost famous and well known for not winning do you know what I mean like that's so smart I agree I
1: agree (laughs) He nailed it. Um, yeah. and I think that a lot of people in jiu-jitsu don't think the way Craig does about competing. Like Craig has, you know, Craig has lost some matches in the last few years that he shouldn't have lost. But he also has won some incredible matches. He also is an, you know, he's in, he's an incredible grappler. And, you know, you look at Craig, people in Jitsu, they remember your wins more than your losses. But... Culturally, some people don't feel that way, you know, like some people are worried. They're so worried about losing that they're going to just not try to compete altogether. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. like you look at someone like Craig, he, you know, he's competing against Luke Rockhold. Fine. He's getting paid well, but he, you know, he like for his legacy, there's no reason to do that. Much. But because of his branding, you know, it's like if Craig loses, we would just laugh about it because that's what the brand that he's built.
0: Yeah, he's done a really interesting job I, like even back even back in the day when I started training he's set up with I think it's MA1 which is the company that make a lot of his gear like they did a really good job of keeping on top of making good quality gear and he had investment from the teams that he trained as well like any of the new guys that came through wanted to buy the gear from MA1 because he was their coach and he was invested in them and they were invested in him as their coach like it's he's done a really wonderful job and it's I don't know if it's he, he comes across like he doesn't he's very aware of his own ego I don't know if that's the right way to explain it but like he 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 knows that he's got an ego but he seems like maybe he doesn't let it affect his decision making too much and he just has a bit of fun with it.
1: I agree, I agree. Mm. He's um he does something that like he does something like he's just he seems very self-aware and personable and I think that when you look at like a lot of the other guys in, who are in the highest levels of jiu-jitsu they seem very ego driven. He doesn't like come off that way, whether or not he is behind closed doors, like maybe personally in his head, Craig is like I got to win or whatever, but it doesn't matter because like the way he presents himself is personable and people like that, you know, mm. whereas like some of the other athletes, and athletes who don't present themselves that way and it ends up being, you know, it hurts them a no lot because yeah. people want to like, you know, people want to support other people. They don't want to support these like robots, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and Chris like, even
1: talked about that before. You know, yeah. he's talked about how a lot of people in jujitsu are uninteresting. And you know, he is not, he seems like an interesting guy. You know, he's
0: cool, he's yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. He's got a great sense of humor for sure. Like he says funny shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah he
1: definitely
0: does. My last question for you before we get out of here, Chris, is about jujitsu and identity. I feel like most white belts went through this probably, but my experience was for the first six months of jujitsu, I was thinking like, I am a jiu-jitsu athlete this is who I am, like, do you know what I mean? And I, I trained every day and I loved it to bits and me and a few other guys would talk only about jujitsu, or we'd be talking about, you know, watching roles on Instagram and finding highlights and wanting to get new, new tutorials that we bought from Fanatics or wherever it would be. And then that sort of evolves over time and your connection to jiu-jitsu changes. Mine did for sure. And it is this love-hate relationship for me at least how do you sort of think about who you are as a person and what role jujitsu plays within that identity? Like, how do you sort of think about that?
1: Yeah. So I think about that. Um, I think about that more often than you might think. Um, maybe this is just because I'm a you know a writer and I think a lot of it as it is, but I think that for me, I used to definitely tie my identity a lot to my jujitsu and my ability to do jujitsu well was very important. Um, and I think just the longer you're around jujitsu and the more like, you know, it's it's kind of like a relationship in a way. Like at first you're like when you first, you know, start a relationship, you're like constantly like thinking about the person to talk to <laughs> the person and all this stuff. And then after a while you're like, God damn, just give me some space, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that Jiu-Jitsu, but like that doesn't mean that you don't like the person anymore, you know? Yeah. Like it's not like, oh, now that I'm not only thinking about jujitsu jitsu 24 7 that doesn't mean jujitsu jitsu sucks it just means that i am there's more to me there's more to my life than there is just training and doing jujitsu. and i think once i accepted that like jujitsu, like I, you know we did like i said a few minutes ago like jujitsu jitsu is four hours a day tops if you're training mm-hmm. like a few times you know and you know there's other things that you have to do during the. And so there's other ways to build your identity. And so I think of my identity as more like fluid than I think of myself as like a jujitsu athlete and a writer and all these other things that I do. Um, I'm like, There's more to me than just the stuff that I put, you know, that I do or that I put on social media or whatever. And I think doing that and having like, you know, kind of a healthy dose of self-awareness and thinking about yourself is more than just what you do is really important. And also I think it helps you do it better.
0: It seems like you're a bit of an analytical person. Like you think a lot about things.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm really analytical. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. That can be a real, that can suck too.
1: <laughs> it definitely, it, it used like when I was younger, it used to yeah. suck a lot more because I would get in these like funks where I'd be like, I would, you know, I was doing jujitsu and I was winning and I would, and people thought I was cool. Like at my gym and stuff like that or whatever. And then, you know, then all of a sudden I would lose one and I would be like, wow, my identity is now over or whatever, you know, over time, you just kind of have to, in order to keep doing the thing, you have to kind of learn to, uh, you know, like disattach a little bit, Mm. uh, detach a little bit so that you're not like constantly anxious, you know, because most people don't do their best work when they're like anxious and their back's against the wall.
0: Yeah, 100%. Do you want to let people know how they can get in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing, whether it's the newsletter you do or whatever? And then uh, we'll get out of here, I reckon.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on social media, I'm Chris M Wojcik uh, on every platform. I am, uh, my newsletter is on Substack. It's called The Grappler's Diary. That's pretty much it. I And then also, too, I write uh, on Instagram. I have a thing called The Grappler's Diary, and it's daily little uh, – those little posts that I put on Twitter, I also put them on Instagram. So those are kind of my main uh, projects that I have that are under my name right now.
0: Okay. Not easy, man. Well, thank you again for the time, man. I really appreciate chatting. We'll have to do it again if you'd like.
1: Yeah, of course. I'd be down. Uh, thank easy you so way. much for having me, and appreciate it.